2 Corinthians chapter 2, begin reading in verse 12 this morning. If you're physically able, I would invite you, if you would, to stand as we read the word of God together. This is what God's word says. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of love, the uh, uh, fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing to one a fragrance, excuse me, from those being saved, uh, Roma of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing to one a fragrance from death to death and to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. This passage, as I, if, you, if you're picking up on the title that I used this morning, has a lot to do with aroma, with smell. Smell's a big deal. It, it triggers memories. It, it can elicit positive uh, feelings and even negative feelings. When, when I was growing up, my, my mother's dad, my granddad, uh, was a farmer over in Berlin, right outside of Moultrie, Georgia. And uh, about a half mile from his home, there was another farm that you had to pass by on your way into town. Now, my granddad grew tobacco and row crops and those sort of things, but this adjacent farm, they were pig farmers. Now, if you've never been around a pig farmer, let me describe something to you. It's an experience. Now, like I said, you had to go by this adjacent farm on the way to town. So we would pull out of my granddad's driveway and we'd go down about a half mile dirt road. And when you got toward the end of that dirt road, even if you had the windows up and the air condition on, you would start to get a faint smell. Now, I can't, you, you can't describe odors, but, but th the only thing I can say to you is this odor, it felt like it was it was getting into things, like into the fabric and into your hair and up your nose. So at the end of that half mile dirt road, you, you would begin to get a faint smell, but you would turn right. Now, we're out in the country, right? So you turn right on the paved road. That's the road that takes you to town. And when you turn right on the paved road and you began to drive, the, the, the more you went, the stronger this smell would become. Now, you could drive fast, you could drive slow, you could drive with your windows up and the air conditioning on, you could drive with your windows down. We have tried it every which way, and it did not matter. The closer you got to the pig farm, the thicker, that's the right word, the thicker the smell got. And it would begin to permeate the car. And everywhere you, it was just everywhere. It felt like you were getting dirty just by smelling what you were going by. We generally would try the technique of drive as fast as you could, and we would blow by the pig farm. 
But the thing about blowing by the pig farm is you may have been away leaving the smell, but the smell stayed with you. And for a mile afterwards, it would be in the car. Oh, you could roll the windows down, try to air out the car, but it would just linger. It was thick. It was nasty. I didn't care for the pig smell. And I, sometimes I would say to my granddad, why would anybody want to be a pig farmer? You smell that all the time. You would smell like that. I mean, that's just, that's on your property. Every time you went, you would smell like that is the nastiest smell I've ever smelled. You know what my granddad would say to me? He said, well, that may be true, but that smell smells like money to the pig farmer. <laughs> the pig farmer had a different perspective about that smell than we did. Smells can have can elicit different memories, different emotions, depending on what they mean and what they represent to you. Writing to the Corinthian church, Paul says that you and I are to be the aroma of Christ. But where you might think that was a completely positive thing, Paul says it's the smell of life to some and the smell of death to others. And we'll mention this later, but the picture that Paul is using in this passage would have been familiar uh, to, to, to most Romans and those who are familiar with Roman culture. Uh, it may not be uh, something we are familiar with in the 21st century, but, but, but in that first century when a victorious general returned home, there would be a parade and amongst that parade and celebration of this victorious general coming home would have been incense burned and censers all along the way. And so the, the, the parade would have a, an odor associated with it. And if you were part of the, the, the conquering army, if you were part of the hometown for which the general was returning, that smell would have elicited memories of victory, of power, of joy, of, of rejoicing and happiness because you had won the battle, your side had won, and your general was coming back victorious. But usually part of that, uh, that parade would have also been slaves, captors, those that were a representative of the people who had been conquered and they were being paraded through town as the defeated foe, many of which would go to the arena and, and, and would find their death there as, as game of sport for the Romans. And so you can imagine if you were part of the slaves, if you were part of the conquered people being paraded in front of those that had just beat you onto your death in the arena, those smells of the incense would not have brought memories or, or thoughts of joy. They would have been connected with death and suffering and difficulty. So Paul says, I mean, very, very honestly, it's something we all can appreciate, whether you're familiar with, with the context of which he was referencing or not, that the same smell can mean something positive and good to some and negative to others. With this imagery in mind, I want us to see just two basic principles from this passage this morning concerning the people of God and the witness of the gospel. And the first is that believers, those who are followers of Jesus, by definition, bear witness to the truth wherever you may be and wherever you go. That's not, a, that's not optional. It, it, it's, not, it's not debatable. If you are a follower of Christ, if you've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, by definition, you are the aroma of Christ wherever you go. Some will receive it well, 
Some will hate you for it, but, but it's not debatable. It's not optional. You are, by definition, the witness of the truth and the witness of Christ. And then secondly, recognizing that some will reject you for being a follower of Jesus, Paul encourages the church, friends, you live to serve God, not man. And so go ahead and get your mind wrapped around it. Go ahead and get your heart settled about it. Your purpose in life is not to be a man pleaser. Your purpose in life is not to be celebrated by the world. Your purpose in life is to honor the Lord, serve the Lord, and be pleasing to God alone. Let's begin with believers bearing a witness to truth. Paul says in, in verses 14, 15, and 16 that believers are the fragrance of Christ. Look at what he says in verse 14, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. Now he's referencing those generals processing into town, triumphal and victorious. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. <laughs> Wherever we go, everywhere we go, we, we smell like Jesus. He says, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. The aroma of a place has a powerful impact on our perception and our memory of the event. The parades of victorious Roman, Romans would be filled with dramatic and strong aromas. The, the incense uh, filled censers carried by the priest all along the way, the, the garlands of flowers that were thrown in the street, all of those things would have had an aroma to them that would have been connected to these, these Roman parades coming in with the generals. So Paul uses this image because he knows that remembering these smells will stir great memories. Likely those he's writing to would experience those events. And when he mentions this aroma and this, this procession, this victorious procession in their mind's eye and in their, their mind's olfactory nerve, they would have remembered that smell. Verse 14, Paul points to the principle that the presence of believers produces the fragrance of Christ. Now, I think this happens at least in two ways. The presence of believers produces the fragrance of Christ in that we, the presence of believers announces the victory of Jesus. Now, listen to me carefully. Wherever you go, if you know Jesus, you announce the victory of Christ. Because regardless of the particulars of your testimony, your testimony is this that you were dead in sin and Christ has made you alive in him. Somebody say amen. That's victory, friends. You were given over to the destruction of your flesh because of your sin and God has redeemed you victoriously over that sin. Wherever you go, wherever you go, whatever you do to with whomever you are with, you smell of the victory of Christ over you. And you bear witness to the victory of Christ. And then secondly, you announce the presence of Jesus. I had a professor one time, and he asked the question about a particular place that we were going in a particular church that we were part of, and he says, is the Spirit of God there? And I said, well, I don't know. I just don't know. And he said to me, are you not filled with the Spirit of God? Well, yes, sir. Were you not there? Yes, sir. Then the Spirit of God was present. 
Friends, if you're filled with the Spirit of God, you bear the testimony of his presence. A believer is a living testimony to the victory of Christ, victory over sin and victory over death. A believer is a tangible testimony to the presence of Jesus. Believers are filled with the Spirit of God. Wherever a believer goes, the Spirit of God is present. Now listen, I know that means there's some difficulty moments. Some of your families are, are families who are most of them don't know Jesus. And so when you go to family events, there's a lot of things that are happening that are unpleasant. There's a lot of things that are happening, frankly, that are, that are just worldly and, and godless. But friends, when you sit at that Thanksgiving table, you bear the presence of God there in that home. Be the witness of Christ. Be the aroma of Christ in your family events. Some of you are working in places that are just filled with lost, godless people. And so the conversations around the, the water cooler are godless. I mean, they're, they're wicked. Some of the activities that your coworkers are doing, you can't participate in because they are sinful. Oh, dear friends, when you show up at work tomorrow morning, you are the aroma of Christ there. Bearing witness to the victory that Jesus has had in your life and the presence of Christ even there. Believers are the fragrance of Christ. And for believers, this witness of Jesus is joyful. So the witness of Jesus is joy to the believer. So, so Paul, look at what he says. He says there's really just two reactions to the aroma of Christ. In verse 15, he says, For we the aroma of Christ, we are the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are being perishing. So, so, so no matter where you go, amongst believers or, or, or those who are, who are not saved, you are the aroma of Christ. You don't turn it on and off. You are what you are wherever you go. But look at what he says. Verse 16, To one a fragrance from death, to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. And we start with the positive because that's an easier place to start. The witness of Jesus is joy to believers. The aroma of Christ is received differently by those who are being saved and those who are perishing. Verse 16 says that for the one being saved, the aroma of Christ is from life to life. One who has, who has received the gospel loves the gospel. The one who has been saved by Jesus loves Jesus. The one who's been rescued by the word loves the word. Not to stir the pot just a little bit, but I'm going to stir. If you have been saved from the vileness of your sin to the glory of the righteousness of Jesus... One of the byproducts of that is you never, ever, ever get tired of hearing the story of the gospel. Oh, it's good. Now, I've been around some church folks who said, you know, I'd like to hear something other than just how Jesus saves people. My response always to that is, brother, you need to hear the word and be saved. Because if you have, you don't ever get over it. And it's like a child hearing their favorite story. Tell it to me one more time. Because the aroma of Christ is life unto life to those who have been rescued by the blood of Jesus. 
If you've received the gospel, you love the gospel. If you know Jesus, you love Jesus. If you believe the word, you love the word. Maybe the closest thing we have to compare to Roman parade is when a professional sports team wins a championship and the home city throws a victory parade. We've had a couple of those around here lately, hadn't we? When our when Georgia Bulldogs won the national championship second year in a row, did anybody have to call up the fans, Bulldog fans, and say, now listen, we scheduled a parade, and it's real important that you show up so that we have somebody there. Oh, no. As soon as that game was over, Bulldog fans were already buying the sweatshirts and the T-shirts and everything else and making plans. Our high school football team won state championship, first time ever this year. Had a parade downtown. Those who love Ware County football, do you think they had to, we had to call them up and go, now listen, we don't want our town to be embarrassed by how many few people showed up, so we're going we're gonna to plan this parade, and we really want you to show up and participate and rejoice in the fact that we won the state championship. No. Those who love that program and love that school and are celebrating what happened there, they were there joyfully celebrating the victory. In those parades, do you think anybody complained that they were too long or too loud or unneeded, too expensive? Do you think that the true fans who were so excited decided to sleep in or go on vacation or work late or wait maybe till next season to see if it happens again? True fans found joy in every moment of the parades. Friends, those who have known the victory of salvation by Jesus over sin and death will enjoy and love the aroma of Christ much more than any sports fan will ever enjoy a parade of their victorious team. If you know Jesus, then the aroma of Christ is something that brings joy to your heart, excitement to your soul, life unto life. But listen to me carefully. There, there is the reality of the negative, negative reaction. And I think we need to hear this one afresh. Because if you're my age or older, then most of you grew up in a, in a cultural context where, for the most part, the church and the preaching of the gospel was culturally celebrated, at least supported in, in sort of a, a, a cultural way. And that has evaporated as cultural Christianity has collapsed. And nowadays, not only is it not celebrated, but very often it is opposed with much anger and vile. And friends, I just got to tell you, that's nothing new. Paul says, to those who are perishing, the aroma of Christ is like death unto death. The witness of Jesus is condemnation to the lost. Friends, salvation is in Christ alone. The world works with indefatigable passion to mute the witness against their sin. Listen to the world. 
They are passionate about silencing anything that might judge them, silencing anything that might in any way say that sin is dangerous, destructive, or certainly immoral or sinful or bad. The aroma of Christ is a testimony to the gospel and a witness against sin. In the parades of the victorious Roman generals, there would have been some of the captives who had been conquered there. To these, the parade and the aromas would not be a cause of celebration, but they would be a reminder of death and defeat. Much has been made in recent years of Christians becoming relatable and relevant to the world. Now, I think many who who pushed that narrative did so with an honest desire to be attractive to the world for the sake of Jesus. And certainly scripture says that we are to become all men to all things to all men for the sake of the gospel, I'm not denying that in any way. Paul said to the weak I became weak that I might win the weak, I become all things to all people that all by all means I might save some. But becoming relatable and relevant cannot be at the expense of being the aroma of Jesus. You cannot smell like the world and be a testimony for Christ. A faithful believer living a faithful life of obedience will be the aroma of death and conviction to one who has rejected Jesus and is perishing. And I would encourage you, friends, number one, don't take offense to that. Don't be offended when the world doesn't like you because of the, who you smell like. And don't back away from that reality. Early in my ministry here at Central, I went and made a hospital visit down in Jacksonville. And I knew that the family of the person I was visiting, all of which did not know Jesus. I had not met all of them, but I'd met some of them. And when I got to the hospital that day and entered the, the, the family, the ones I was interacting with did not, did not recognize me. They'd not met me before. And when I introduced myself, Ben Smith, pastor of Central Baptist Church, this is the only time this has ever happened. A grown man in about his 60s got up and ran away. I'm standing there in the hallway going, what in the world just happened? I mean, the man got up and ran away. Now, as I figured out what was happening, I realized that man did not know Jesus and did not want to be around anybody who was the witness of Jesus. Now, I could have been offended by that. How? How offensive he didn't want to have a conversation with me. I mean, who runs away from somebody else? But friends, if you are the aroma of Christ, you bear the witness of Jesus. Life unto life for those who are being saved and death unto death for those who are under condemnation of their sin. Don't be offended by that and don't back away from that. Bear the testimony of Jesus even when it is hated by the world around us. Believers bear the witness of truth. And then secondly, Paul says here, verse 17, we serve God, not man. Now, these are connected because I think that the temptation would be we want to be received, mate, we want to be received by all. Who wants to be offensive to anybody? Look what Paul says, verse seven, 17. For we are not like 
so many peddlers of God's word. But as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Now he's, he's, he's making a contrast between himself, what he preaches and how he goes about his ministry, and the peddlers of God's word. Who are the peddlers of God's word? Those would be people who preach the gospel not for the sake of the gospel, but for personal advancement and gain. And the reality of it is, if you are preaching the gospel for personal advancement and gain, you don't want to be the aroma of death and to death. You only want to be well received. And so instead of preaching a faithful gospel that is true from the God's word, you will preach what people want to hear so that you can make personal advancements and gain. And so just a couple of things here about serving God, not man. Number one, we preach not for temporary gain. So Paul says in verse 17 that he does not peddle the word of God. The word that is translated, that, this is, that peddle is translated from means to use in a deceptive way. In other words, to use God's word in a way to deceive, like a huckster or a, somebody who's trying to deceive you, to, to say one thing but to get another. There have always been those who attempt to use the preaching of the gospel as a way to, to, to gain worldly wealth. That's true in the days of Jesus, still true in our day as well. Peddling the word of God requires corrupting the gospel so that it will fit what men want to hear, what will draw a crowd, what will keep a crowd, and what will serve the preacher's needs. One time I was in a doctor's office in Savannah, and the physician was, when he found out I was a, a pastor, he, he was not a Christian. He had not grown up in the Christian context, knew nothing about um, Protestants, evangelicals, or anything else like that. But he, but he was fascinated by, by, by the church and by what I did. And, and he said, so, so what do you do? And I was trying to explain to him what I did. And the only connection he had with um, uh, Protestants, evangelicals, it was a, it is a, a prominent prosperity gospel that's on TV and does not preach faithfully the word of God. And he said, so are, do, are you like so-and-so? Now, my first reaction to that was to, to, to have a, a visceral reaction. Absolutely not. But I realized he didn't have a clue. I, I mean, he, could not have, he wouldn't have any context for why I would be so opposed to being compared to this, this peddler of the gospel. And I said, oh. I said, no. So we very different. Well, I could tell that he didn't understand. I said, here's the difference. You can listen to that peddler of the gospel. I didn't use that phrase. But you can listen to that guy preach Every day, you can read all of his books, and you will never hear anything that, makes, that offends you or upsets you. Well, this guy was familiar with the Old Testament, and I said, you've read the Old Testament? He said, I have. I said, are there some things in there you don't like to hear? He said, oh, absolutely. So there's some things that are unsettling? He said, absolutely. And I said, well, that's because the testimony in Scripture declares the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. And the more you understand the holiness of God, the more you are confronted in the reality of your sin. I said, anyone who faithfully preaches the word of God, at some point it's going to hurt your feelings. Amen? It's 
going to say something that, that upsets you, not because there's a desire to hurt your feelings, but because if you proclaim the word of God, it exposes sin in your life. And at that point, you have to choose, will you surrender to the, to the righteous truth of God or will you continue in your, in your wayward way? And Paul says, listen, we preach not for temporary gain. We cannot give ourselves to just pleasing the things of men. Sometimes we enjoy the presence of others that love Jesus and, and thus enjoy the aroma of Christ. Sometimes we suffer because the aroma of Christ causes those who are perishing to reject us. But personal gain is not the motivation of a faithful preacher of the gospel. No, we must faithfully preach what the Word of God declares. Preach not for temporary gain, but we do preach out of conviction. Knowing the truth of Christ knowing the judgment of God, knowing the hope of salvation, we preach out of these convictions. Paul uses, the, the word that's probably translated in your, in your scriptures is sincerity. The word there that's being translated means to have an expression of pure or unadulterated motives. So sincerity, purity, those sort of things. If you believe the biblical witness of sin, judgment, hell, resurrection, salvation, heaven, then the reality of it is you cannot keep silent. You cannot be silent. We don't preach for temporary gain, but we must preach because we are convicted of the truth of Scripture. And Paul ultimately says there in the very last part of the verse, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. In other words, we preach before the Lord. The judgment of our faithfulness is the witness of God. We tend to give more attention to our activities when a supervisor is present. Have you noticed that? It's not that you're not doing your job well or you're not giving great attention, but when the boss shows up, do you not give a little extra attention? I remember as a kid when the teacher would say, all right, I'm going to have my observation. She taught more intensely, and we were tried to be, back then, we tried to be better behaved students because there was supervisor there, an observation happening there. That's the idea that Paul is pushing at here. We don't preach the gospel. We don't teach the gospel. We don't proclaim the gospel for the audience of those who are receiving it. We preach the gospel for the audience of the one for which we preach, Jesus. It may be that the world rises up tomorrow and loves you for preaching the gospel. And it may be that the world rises up tomorrow and hates you for preaching the gospel. But you're not preaching for the pleasure of the world. You are preaching for the glory of God. Paul recognizes that we preach not for the judgment of men, but as before the Lord. God is our witness. Proclaiming the gospel is not about satisfying or, or serving man. Proclaiming the gospel is about serving God. We don't preach for personal gain. We preach out of conviction. We preach as before the Lord. 
my hometown is Columbus, Georgia. And there's a little town between Waycross and Columbus, Georgia called Dawson, Georgia. Now, if you ever go that way, when, you get, when you're going through Dawson, just on the north side of town, there's some railroad tracks. And to the left, if you're going north, is Dawson Peanut Company. They roast peanuts there. And when they're roasting peanuts there, all of that side of town smells like roasted peanuts. Now, because I still have parents and family in Columbus, we, we go through Dawson when we, we go, when we travel to Columbus to see folks. And whenever I go through Dawson and I smell that smell, it, it creates in me a wonderful, beautiful, precious memory. You see, my dad, for all of my life growing up, worked for Tom's Peanut Company. Right out of college, he went to Columbus, he got a job with Tom's, and Tom's, amongst other things, roast peanuts. And my dad's office was just over in, in, the, in the general area where the big roasters of those peanuts were. And so, every day, all of my growing up years, when my dad came home from work, you know what he smelled like? Roasted peanuts. Better than a pig farmer, amen? <laughs> smell like roasted peanuts. His clothes would smell like it. His car smelled like it. And so for me, when I smell roasted peanuts, it brings back all of those memories of my dad. And my dad was, is a good dad. So it's a joyful smell. It's a, it's a happy smell. It's an aroma that brings pleasure and joy. Now, the reason why I, I have those emotions when I go through Dawson is that, that that building, though I've never been in that building, and I don't know anybody connected to that business or know anything about them at all, I know what they're doing inside because it smells just like what my dad did. You see the connection? I recognize who they are and what they are, what they do, because I recognize the aroma. They're roasting peanuts in there. Paul says that you, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've been saved by the blood of Jesus, not if, not maybe, not ought to, not should be. No, if you have been saved by the blood of Jesus, by very definition of who you are, you are to be the aroma of Christ in this world. It's possible, though I can't imagine it to be so, that somebody doesn't like the smell of roasted peanuts. But for those who, who that's a positive smell, it brings back joyful memories. A father who loved me and raised me well. That's what Paul means. We're to be the aroma of Christ and being the aroma of Christ to those who have come to know Jesus, we are a smell as of life unto life those who are dying, being convicted, or who are in the condemnation of their sin as death unto death. Regardless, be the aroma of Christ in this world. And as you are, preach the gospel with conviction as unto them.
Thank you for listening to All for the Kingdom, a weekly podcast of my preaching ministry. For more sermons, blog posts, and other related content, go to bensmithsenior.org. That's bensmithsr.org. I am the pastor of Central Baptist Church in Waycross, Georgia. I would love for you to join us this coming Sunday at 201 Ava Street here in Waycross. Our morning services begin at 1030 a.m. For more information about Central Baptist, go to cbcwaycross.org. Again, thank you for listening. And until the Lord returns, let us live each moment all for the King and all for the kingdom.